You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. 2 Kings chapter 13, we're going to be Give, going into a story that I think is, <laughs> I, I don't know what, what it is about kind of just how I'm wired, but I like the weird stories. Like the stories that you go, I, I just don't know, there's no cut and dry way to look at the story, <laughs> but it's a prophetic story. It's an awesome story. And I actually had some, a totally different story from the life of Elijah I was going to look at, and uh, God began to direct me to this, and I believe he has a word for many of you tonight uh, for our situation. But um, title, if you're taking notes, is These Old Bones. These Old Bones. I'm not talking about getting older. Uh, You know you're getting older when the conversation in your friend group goes from, what are we doing this Friday night, to what part of my body hurts the most? And that's kind of where you can kind of gauge where, uh, where, and and maybe, you know, um, it's, it's so funny, my I was with my, my grandmother before she had passed away. She lived to a great old age before she went to be with Jesus. And, uh, but I remember over 10, 15 years ago, uh, sitting down with, uh, she, had, she was one of 14 siblings. And uh, so they had a big family. I thought, you know, I've met some big families. They had 14 kids in, the, in that, that group. Uh, and she was one of the younger ones. And she's, she's gathering around and, and kind of at that stage where they were at, they were talking about which one of their siblings they thought was going next. And I'm sitting here listening to this like, y'all stop it. Like, just stop. And the sad part, the funny part, but also the sad part, is they're talking about my oldest great aunt who's in the room. She's over there knitting, I don't know what she was making, some kind of blanket that she would, Afghan blanket she would, she would make for friends and family. So she's sitting there knitting. She, she's, uh, at this point in her late 80s, she would live to 93 years old, but she's sitting there and they're talking about, well, she's the oldest, so she's probably going next. And, and none of us realize that she's hearing this entire thing until she stops knitting for a second. She goes, no, I'm going to outlive all y'all. And then she goes back to it. And so, listen, you know, that's what we're talking about tonight. But let's look at Elisha. This is actually towards the end of Elisha's life. And Elisha, I, I, I gave you part of his story a couple Sundays ago, those of you who are here. Uh, we looked at the transition between Elijah and Elisha. Elijah being the older generation who had seen revival begin to come to the nation of Israel, uh, had confronted Jezebel, had preached repentance to the nation, had really done so much, and yet there was a, a, a limit to what uh, he had seen fully accomplished in the nation of Israel. And so in desperation, he was calling out to God. He's in the cave. That was what I spoke about a couple weeks ago. Uh, He's in the cave and God tells him, I want you to go find Elisha and anoint the next generation. And so that's what he does. He goes and anoints Elisha. And then after 10 years of serving at Elijah's side, Elisha takes the mantle of Elijah. And Elijah is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, chariots of fire. And this dramatic display, that story's in 2 Kings 2, which we won't turn there for time tonight. But, but Elisha sees his, his 
predecessor, the previous generation going to heaven, and he, he declares this because he's known closely, he's known Elijah over the last decade from the moment he was anointed by this, by this man, by the moment that, that he encountered Elijah, he had been close to him, had served him, had, had been uh, walking in his footsteps, following his example, being discipled to be the next generation's prophet, uh, and Elisha sees him going to heaven and says, my father, my father, the chariots of horsemen, uh, of, of Israel. And he says this in declaration of these chariots of fire that were going to heaven, uh, taking up Elijah. And he sees this dramatic moment, the cloak, the mantle, if you remember that story, fell to the ground and Elisha picks it up. He goes and he goes to the Jordan River, the last place that Elijah had been where he had seen the waters parted and he strikes the water and it parts just like it did for Elijah. And from that moment for the next several years of his life until the end of his life, Elisha would see almost twice as many miracles as the previous generation. I say almost because technically he's short one, but even when we're going to see how God makes it up there uh, with that last miracle, he is going to see that, but it's, it's out of time, out of season. And let's look at this. As Elisha now is preparing for this third generation, the next generation after, in verse 14, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him, and he wept over his face. And just like Elisha had said many years before at the ascension of Elijah to heaven, here's what Joash says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha had said to him, take a bow, take some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows, and he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow, and he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window. So he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And so he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. Syria had taken six cities from Israel, had, had some great measure of success in overcoming the Israelites up to this point. And so here's what the Lord, where the Lord is. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. And he says, take the arrows. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And so he struck the ground three times and he stopped. And the man of God, Elisha, was angry with him. And he said, you should have at least struck the ground five or six times. And he would have struck Syria, excuse me, until you had destroyed it. But now you shall only strike Syria three times. What, what's going on in this story? Elisha is about to himself graduate to heaven. But before he does, the next generation of leaders, Joash, comes to him with the same words that Elisha had used a generation before. Except this time, he's using somebody else's words and not his own. He's using somebody else's formula, absent relationship. That's the problem with religion. It has a formula, says the right words, but there's no relationship, no life in it, no power in it, and that's why it can't change our life. It's only relationship with Jesus that changes us. It's only close fellowship, just like Elisha stayed close to Elijah. It's only that close relationship that actually can change our life, bring freedom in our life, bring fruitfulness in our life, help us to discover purpose. No matter how long I've been in a relationship with God, there's so much more to experience and to know, but my, my only responsibility is stay close to Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus, a disciple, isn't just that I go to church and that I read my Bible and pray, although that's all a part of it, but it's all for a purpose, and that's drawing close to Jesus. 
following Jesus. And Elisha, a generation before, was so hungry to see God work in his lifetime and through his life that as Elijah's about to go to heaven, he says, I I I want double what you have. I want to experience what you had, but even more. I've got three points for you tonight looking at this idea of generational blessing, of generational increase. And, and Elijah says there's more. But I can't give it to you. Only God can give it to you. And so Elisha sees him go to heaven. Elisha picks up his mantle and carries what Elijah had, but increased it. See, everything God does in one generation is always meant to increase. God blesses you, but it's not just for you. God gives you answer to prayer, but it's not just for you. God brings breakthrough in your life, but it's not just for your life. From the very beginning, God said, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and what? Multiply. Obviously, he's letting them know, have lots of babies. My grandma's generation was obviously very good at that, 14 kids. But, but can I tell you, here's the problem. Even as believers, when you take it to the New Testament, Jesus says, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples of all nations. We're still called to multiply. We're still called to take what we've been given and increase it. Multiply it. See, lives transformed and impacted. The problem Elisha has is he's about to go to heaven too. And the next generation, Joash, comes to him with half the passion, half the expectation. Half the hunger. Oh, he knows the right words to say, but he's missing something behind it. And so his present circumstances they've had, six cities lost. And so here's the word of the Lord to Joash. He says, I want you, the Lord's going to give you deliverance, and you're going to strike the enemy until they're defeated. And so he, t- he says, take some arrows. He doesn't know it's a test. <laughs> You know, here's the things with God's test. The devil's tests are to destroy. God's tests are to promote. And God's tests are open book. And here's, so, so he says, you're going to do this until you get victory. So Joash goes, okay, I don't know why I'm doing this. Pick up the arrows. He goes, twice more for good measure. He looks back at Elisha like, are you impressed? Elisha goes, what was that? I told you to strike until you had defeated. It's a prophetic act as he's striking the ground with the arrows. He's saying, you're only going to get half victory over this enemy. Why? Because you're lacking passion for something you're called to go after. Elisha got double what the previous generation had because he wouldn't settle. Joash, the next generation, is willing to settle for less I don't know, maybe he thought to himself, this is foolish striking the ground with some arrows. What's the point? This, I don't understand the significance of this. He's not realizing this is a prophetic moment, but the issue at stake is what's the next generation going to carry? And I don't think it's much different today. God's looking for a generation of people that are going to say, I want everything the previous generations had, and I want to carry it and multiply it. I'm not going to do this halfway. I'm not going to phone it in. I'm not going to be disconnected, disengaged from my purpose and calling. I'm not going to be distracted from it. I think we have the most distracted time in all of human history. 
But we also have the greatest opportunity, I believe, in our lifetime to see God come and move in our midst, to see the church advance, to see lives transformed, to see revival come to our houses, our families, our cities, our nation. Number one, one's generation, one generation's blessing and breakthrough is the platform for the next. See, God's intention is always, you know, I'm, I'm a dad, three beautiful, awesome kids, it's one of my privileges in life to be a dad. And my job is not to be their ceiling, it's to be their floor. It's not to be a stumbling block where they find Jesus in spite of me. But I want to be a stepping stone that I help launch them into what God's called them to do. See, Elisha was somebody who had vision, Joash doesn't. Elisha had vision. The Bible says where there's vision or where there's no vision, people perish. What, what, what's vision? It's, it's the ability to see when the wall is taken away or the obstruction, the obstacle is taken away. And so it's to see what others can't see. If you can see what others can't see, you can do what others won't do. I think we have a problem with vision in the world. People, their actions are driven by what they See, the problem is they're looking not at what God has called them to, but what they see right in front of them. They're not driven by a God vision, a God dream, a God purpose. And so Joash is just wanting, you know, hey, wave your hand, do something special, bless, bless me to go be the next leader in Israel, get some success. Elisha says, no, you've got to fight and overcome until you completely beat the enemy. You've got to see it. Joash doesn't see it. Elisha sees it. We need a God-directed and Christ-centered vision of our life, our family, and our calling. We need to catch this. You know, God has a multi-generational vision. He, he, in Genesis, I think it's chapter 12. Yeah, it's 12. He calls Abram, later called Abraham, and he, he says to Abram, I'm going to bless you. Oh, that's good news, God. What's that look like? He says, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. What's the purpose of being blessed? To be a blessing. It's so that something that God deposits in my life doesn't die with my life. But I actually become a conduit where it grows. I think God deposits in one person, in one family, in one generation, something that future people will need. And, and we have to catch this because I think we've had a short-sighted view many times. We're just looking, and, and I think that comes from our culture. I mean, it's funny. When I was not long after college, I forgot what the number was. I know a few years after, we hit... Our national debt as a country was $8 trillion. That was major news. We just crossed $30 trillion and barely made the news. That's not a political statement. That's just a, that's a problem. Do you know what that, that, that's why that's a problem is we're asking a generation we don't see to pay something now. And, and we do that spiritually when we sacrifice the future God vision, God purpose for something temporary. Do you know what God does in your life today isn't just about today? 
It's about a generation you may not even see yet until Jesus comes back. As a church, we're, we're, we're positioning and doing things today that's not even about today. We're going to start a Bible school. We're going to be, this, this summer we'll be launching youth ministry, middle school, middle school and high school. We're, we're wanting to launch beyond that into college and career, all, the, all those things. But what's the purpose? It's about reaching the next generation, not just about what God's doing today, but preparing for the next group. I, I want what God does today to increase for somebody else, their benefit. Okay. So I, I shared this with you before. Second Kings 20, 19. Hezekiah, this is that mindset. It's kind of where the culture is right now, not my problem. <laughs> Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord. So Hezekiah's just gotten news that all of the riches of his house are going to get plundered, but not in his generation, not in his lifetime. He goes, wow, the word of the Lord which you spoke is good. You can read verses 17 and 18, to, and you'll see the contradiction. It doesn't sound good to hear that all of your riches of your house are going to get plundered in the next lifetime, in the next generation. You know why he says it's good? Look at it. At least there'll be peace in my days. Wow. Church, what if we prayed, and it wasn't just for something today. What if we prayed for, for people who have yet to even be in this room? What if we prepared today for what God's going to do tomorrow? What if we got, free? you know, you getting free isn't just about you. Let's, let's look at the second thing, because this isn't the end of the story. So, so verse 12, no, no, where is it at? Elisha, verse 20, Elisha died. They buried him. And then raiding, raiding bands of Moab. Now, I don't have time to get into all the history of Moab, but let's just say Moab's start was very messy. Moab literally means his father's, or his mother's father. And it's not describing just his grandfather. It's describing the relationship of how Moab came to be. It's just read the book of Genesis. It makes Jerry Springer blush. And, and so Lot, his daughter, Moab. But then you end up with a generation later on that is raiding Israel that descends from this. One generation's curse carried on to affect future generations. The word bands here of raiding bands or groups of people literally means to break in or cut in. The second point tonight is the curse of our history breaks in for a purpose. It breaks in to disrupt our future. And so it comes in, sometimes this looks like trauma, generational sins, cycles, illness, victims of the, uh, all these things that go from one generation to the next. I've seen people, I've seen this in almost 20 years, 18 years of pastoring, I've seen generation after generation, battle through the same stuff until somebody says, it stops with me. The, the anxiety stops with me. The depression stops with me. The, de the addiction stops with me. Because what I'm passing to the next generation is going to be blessing and not the curse of a history. So you can't 
change what you've been given, but you can determine what you do with it. And that's the good news of Jesus. Jesus comes in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of sin, in the midst of heartache, heartache and failure, in the midst of all the crud we've been given. And he shows up in the middle and he redeems us and he gives us a future and a hope and he rewrites the story. People today are defined by all kinds of things. They find their identity and their problems, their addictions, their their feelings instead of what God has said and who he's created them to be. God said to Abraham, I want to bless you and make you a blessing. And right after he told him that, he said, I want you to get out from your country and from your father's house to a land I'm going to show you. Why would God say that to Abram? Because his family history got them stuck. His father, Terah, had journeyed from a place called Ur of Chaldee to a place called Haran. And if you look on a map, of some of our Bibles have those at the back, it's halfway between where they came from and where they were going, the land of Canaan. And Abraham's father and most of their family died in that place, a place that was halfway from where they had been to where they were supposed to be. And so God had to come to Abram and say, your history and your family's present condition doesn't have to define your future. I wonder how many of us are stuck, and we don't have to be stuck. We're, we're bound by what people have said and what people have done and how things didn't work out and this person who left and that, all of that stuff. That and, and so God has to come to us just like to Abraham and say, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. But first, you've got to leave the junk that's keeping you held back. You gotta let go of the past and move forward. So, Isaiah 61 is the mission statement of the Messiah. It opens up and it says, the Spirit of the Lord God's upon me because he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He goes through the whole thing and that's later quoted by Jesus declaring himself to be the Messiah. And it describes what Jesus does in our life as he sets us free as he opens blind eyes and he restores our lives and he heals us and he gives us beauty for ashes, all of that, but there's a part that I think we often miss and it's verse four. This is what God does through redeemed people. This is what God wants to do in your life. Not just save you from the mess, from the history, but actually make you somebody who changes generations. They shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Verse 9, their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. See, you can't change what you've been given, but you can determine what you do with it because of Jesus. And he redeems you and then plants you in cities, in communities, and in families to change the story. 
What would it look like in 15, 20 years if we would take what God has done in us and multiply it? See, my goal has never been just to have a nice church. I, I could have done that, like, by a beach somewhere. But, but I, I know that God wants to rebuild some things right here in North Iowa. He, he wants to restore some families. He wants to rebuild he, wa- he wants to take the places that there's been addiction and brokenness and hurt and failure and all that stuff. And religion was powerless to change it. But Jesus has had on his heart to turn it upside down from the beginning. And you know how he does it? By blessing you. And multiplying through you. Levi's uh, one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Reuben, Simeon, and Levi are the first three. The fourth Judah would actually be the one to eventually, through his line, God would raise up the king. The leadership of the whole family so to speak, which always seemed odd to me because usually that would go to the first. But as, as Jacob's at the end of his life, he starts to prophesy the future of his generations after him based on the curse of what those sons had done. It says this, Genesis 49, verse 1, Jacob called his sons and said, and, and gather, he said, gather together that I may tell you what will befall you in the last days. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling, in their, their house. Let not my soul enter into their counsel. This is their father speaking about his second and third son. Let not my honor be united to their assembly, for in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. Their wrath for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So he, he, he declares over them what's essentially a prophetic curse on, based on the actions of his sons. Generations would go by and Levi, the sons of Levi, would carry this, would have this over their heads. Then one day there was a little incident with a golden calf. Remember that? Moses goes up the mountain, he's with God. Aaron, the high priest, everybody comes to him and says, Moses is taking too long, he's probably dead. Let's make our own God that we can control. Looks like us, fashioned after our own desires. They say, we're gonna throw a feast to Jehovah. It's actually crazy. They form a golden calf out of gold they take, the very gold that God had given them out of Egypt they make into a God that they worship right at the foot of a mountain where God's presence is reigning in power. He's right there. They go, that's scary. We can't control that. We can only surrender to him. We like this one better that we can fashion with our own hands. So they make a golden calf. 
Aaron, when he's confronted on it, says, I don't know how it happened. Like, we all got the gold, we threw it in the furnace, and out popped a calf. Had nothing to do with it. Not my problem, Aaron's saying. Moses comes down off the mountain. He's hot. He's mad. He's upset. How could this happen? You guys have so quickly forsaken God for this idol, and he begins to confront. And here's what he here's what he declares. He said, "Who is on the Lord's side?" And I love this. At this moment, it says the sons of Levi gathered themselves. They're thinking, "This is our moment, guys." Because you know what matters isn't getting God on our side; it's being on His. Everybody, everybody. <laughs> And the sons of Levi take a stand for righteousness in their generation. Do you know why that's important? Is later on, throughout the rest of Israel's history, God would say of Levi, he would say, they are my portion. Oh, church. God God was moved by that moment. They became the priests. They became the... They became the ones that bear the, the, the instruments that were holy. Something happens when we're joined to God and we say, I'm not going to let my history determine my outcome. But I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to draw near to God. <laughs> Number three, final point is this. God has unfinished business in your life, family, and future. So back to the story of Elisha before we close. This, you know, if you thought the weird part was this guy striking the ground with arrows, it's actually not. This next part is the weird part. Because the, the, the raiders of Moab are coming after Elisha has died and Joash has gone off to halfway win the war. The raiders of Moab show up, a reminder of generations before and, and they come, and here they're creating conflict in Israel, as they would do. And someone's died. Another guy dies. And his friends are carrying him, and they see these raiders from Moab. And they don't know what to do with their friend, because they want to give him a proper burial. But they're afraid of losing their own life from this enemy group of soldiers. And so as they're passing by Elisha's tomb, they chuck their friend inside. There's no other way to say that. Let me just read it to you. Oh, like, I have no idea this is in the Bible. So it was, as they were burying a man, suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. I told you. They put him in the tomb to bury him while they escape. And the moment his body touches the bones of Elisha, see, remember I told you Elisha had experienced twice as many miracles as Elijah, the previous generation, except for one? This makes up for it. And, and, There's unfinished business 
It's not about the bones of Elijah. It's not like there's something mystical or magical or special about his bones. It's that unfulfilled promise over Elisha's life, unfulfilled purpose over Elisha's life. Back a generation before, he said, give me a double portion. God wasn't done yet. And I'm telling you right now, there's stuff in your life and family that is yet to happen. And so many of us have this, it's the way we view God that I think is sometimes skewed. We think, Kesara, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. And that's just not the way it works. Can I help you with this? 2 Peter 3 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but you know what? Some people do. He says, You go to hell over my dead body, and he puts a cross there. And he stands between us and eternity separate from God, but he makes a way for us to be redeemed. But still, some people choose to go a different way. God's desire is our redemption. But you know that's true of so many things that I believe God wants to do in our life and in our families. Jason, if you, Clay, want to get ready. I think there's a lot of stuff that God wants to do, and we think, well, if God wants to do it, he'll just do it. That's just not the way it always works. Can I just tell you, there's some stuff that God's going to do without taking a vote. Jesus is coming back. Whether we're ready or not, whether people voted for it or not, whether people, he's coming back. There's some stuff that God's going to do no matter what. But there's also some stuff, just like Elisha, he had to be hungry for. He had to get around Elijah and said, I want what you've got. You know, there, there wouldn't be a River City Church if it wasn't for a lot of people, if it wasn't for a lady named Ruth, who's a little Pentecostal grandma. Kind of scary, I've got to be honest. And God used her to speak into my life and my wife's life. Another Pentecostal grandma, Verna Tompkins, who's now 93 herself. And you know what I did early in ministry? We both did. We got around them as often as we could. Ruth would have a prayer meeting at our church every Tuesday, middle of the day, and it didn't matter what I had going on with my, my schedule, I would always be in the room. Because she carried something that I knew I needed. So I wasn't going to be like Joe Ash and try to fake a formula. I wanted a relationship. I wanted to get around some stuff that I knew I needed in my life. I wanted to get around some people that knew God like I wanted to know God. That experienced what I had only read about and heard about. There wouldn't have been a River Sea Church if it hadn't been for some pastors over the years that pulled both of us in and said, we want to pour into you what was poured into us so that it can multiply. And that's what River City Church needs to be, is that we take, not just us, but all of us, take what God's poured into us and go, let's multiply it. Let's, let's see every family in North Iowa reach. Let's, let's, let's go into every small town in North Iowa and see it turned upside down for Jesus. Let's see some churches planted in areas that they say you can't plant a church there.
Let's see some marriages restored. And people say it's over. Let's, let's see some, some people who have a messed up history become world changers. Because that's what he does. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for available people. The only perfect person was Jesus. But I believe there's unfulfilled promise in every one of our lives and families that we need to take the arrow and say, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep standing. I'm going to draw close to Jesus until I see everything that God has promised. I want to wring that out. Every... If God's got a sponge called the purpose of God in my life, I want it bone dry when I get to heaven. So I want to wring that out. When this dead man touched the bones of the previous generation, something that Joash didn't get happened in this man's life. He was dead. He was now revived and stood on his feet. <laughs> wow. Wow. I told you it was a weird story. Do you know there was a day where Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on a door? You know what he was doing? He was touching bones. Bringing reformation to the world. William Seymour, a one-eyed black man who was not even allowed to be in the room in a segregated church while they were talking about the Holy Spirit, said, they're talking about something I want. And then he went to Los Angeles and cried out to God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and God met him with the Azusa Street Revival. Because he touched the bones of something that was unfulfilled in his generation. I wonder what would happen if you and I said, God's got more in my family. God's got more in my life. God's got more in my business. God's got more in my calling. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to do it halfway. God, I want all that you have. I'm going to, even if it means laying some things down, even if it means breaking some old chains, even if it means changing the way, I go after God. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Let me pray with you. There was one miracle left in Elisha. If you feel like something's over, it's not over with God. He just got something different. <laughs> just keep going after Jesus. In in the kingdom, anything you can live without, you will. What does that mean? God promises, God makes available, but he invites us to the table. And only the hungry eat off the table. The people that say, I want, God, all that you've got for me. I want what religion said I couldn't have. I want what people wrote off and said it's over. I want you, God. I want all that you have for my life. I want all that your word promises. 
all that the Holy Spirit's made available. God, I want you. I want you. Let's worship together. And right where you're at, if you've got some unfulfilled promise, unfulfilled promises over your life, I want us to grab hold of those and say, God, I'm going after it. Help me to see. Help me to see like Elijah saw. God, I want more. Jesus. Let's worship together and then we'll close in prayer. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.